to the Renaissance Times, episode 32, Papa Bear. Hello. I was going to say, are they? I didn't know which uh, show we were doing there for a second. Mm. Have you uh, looked up any girl's skirts with those shoe mirrors? <laughs> no, but I am, I am coming down from a sugar high. Uh, I stole some of my girl's candy and now I'm crashing. <laughs> well, uh, maybe you need to go and uh, get some more. Hair of the, steal some more candy. Hair of the dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, and at the end of our, our last episode, Ray, um, I don't know if you can remember back <laughs> that far as like last week. I know, wow. Uh, but uh, Bruno, Brunelleschi, after 15 years doing fuck knows what in Rome, uh, gets back to Florence around about 1416. Right. Now, how did he earn a living all those years he was in Rome, Ray? Now, I had read that he wasn't in Rome completely for those 15, 16 years that he would travel around. Um, was he a goldsmith and he learned clock making? I didn't hear the clock making bit, but yeah, I, I read that he, well, I read that initially he didn't have to worry about earning a living because he, before he left Florence, he sold a small farm ah. that he owned and he lived off that for a while. But then, yeah, when he ran out of money, he worked as a goldsmith. Of course, that was his early training. Um, and people were like, what the fuck am I going to do with gold? I'm starving. And he's like, well, you know, maybe you can burn it. I don't know. Right. They keep telling me that you should invest in gold. It's uh, depression proof. Right. Um, but apparently there was probably probably members of the, uh, the, the Pope's entourage they had money. They were the only people in Rome with money sure. at that stage, probably making gold crosses for <laughs> Is that tacky? Them. Is that tacky? Anyway. Uh, well, you know, I don't know. You'd have to ask Jesus, man. Jesus liked the bling. Oh, let, let me just throw this in real quick because uh, I know you're going to go on about how we made a living. That's what you said to me in Vegas. What? <laughs> what? what did I say? It doesn't. Sound. Let me throw this in real quick. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. No, I had read, and, and um, uh, I hope this is true. But anyway, so so he was a goldsmith. You know, he does things with uh, mounting gems and engraving on silver. But I had read that he also studied the science of motion, weights, wheels, and gears. And with this knowledge, and 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 you really get the sense that this guy was just freaking brilliant. He made clocks, and supposedly. One of them had an alarm in it, so it was an alarm clock, but it doesn't survive. But still, the, the point is, this guy was not only brilliant, he was not only schooled in, uh, in um, some of these things, but basically his main skill seemed to be problem solving, just coming up with practical ways on how to deal with things, how to get over on things, and how to move forward. And, he's, and that talent that he has is certainly going to be put to the test. The uh, alarm was time for the Renaissance. Time for the Renaissance. <laughs> nice one. Funny. I thought it was funny. Now, Vasari, uh, in his Lives of the Artists, written 100 years later, says that while in Rome there wasn't a single standing classical structure that Brunelleschi didn't measure and study. Wow. 
So he is now, he comes back from Rome, uh, he is now the fucking man right. when it comes <clears throat> to Roman architecture. Yeah. Anything there is to be known, he knows. Well, I, he is yeah. the man. He's the man. Now, I have a question. He's got all this knowledge. He's, he's measured all these things. Has he built anything? Well, not as far as we know. Right. No. Okay. Um, it's all theory. You got to start somewhere. Uh, you know, yeah, it's like Elon Musk. He said, I'm going to build a rocket. People said, <laughs> you ever built a rocket before? Guys? <laughs> no, can't be that hard. Um, that's That was Bruno right. He was the Elon Musk of his time. Can't be that hard. <laughs> right. Just, you know, build a big pointy thing, put some fire at the bottom of it, blow it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. If other people could do it, <laughs> I could do it. Got any training in architecture? Nope. And let me tell you, that's a good thing because I'm not that's true. encumbered. I'm not hampered right. by all of their, that, their book learning <laughs> that them guys on that podcast do. <laughs> While you're at yeah. it, heart surgery, I can probably do that as well. Got a, <laughs> no. Got a, no. What did Donald Trump say recently? He's got a good feel. Got a good feel <laughs> for, for science. science. Got a good feel for it, but but if I can go stop you for a second, I mean, you make a good point because a lot of the people that Brunelleschi is going to come come into contact with are trained, and they have been apprenticed for years, and now they are masters. And you're absolutely right; they're already fixed in their ways, and their thinking, and their approaches. They know it's acceptable; they know it's not, and those two shall never meet. And and they they cannot think outside of the box, which is one of the reasons, besides his personality, that Brunelleschi is going to have so much trouble during this entire time. Yeah, and I've got some more to say about his personality yeah. later on. But um, Dick. when he gets back to Florence, he noticed that the Duomo had just acquired its new name, Santa Maria del Fiore. Oh, I like that. Which means, Ray? Our Lady of the Flower. Not really. Santa Maria is St. Mary. What? Not Our Lady. I got that from a book and everything. Yeah, well, St. Mary might have been referred to as Our Lady, but that's not what Santa Maria Right, St. Mary. It's not Our okay. Lady. So I can't... St. Mary... I can't even the trust flower. the books when I do crack one open. Fuck. No. Now, uh, the, the church that had been there before this was referred to as Santa Reparata. Which means? Uh, St. Uh, Saint, Saint of the Reparations. <laughs> right, that's what I was going to say. Huh. That's not sexy. <laughs> actually, Saint. Yeah, well, Saint Reparata was a Christian martyr. Oh. actually, that it was named after gotcha. uh, third century CE, probably mythical. Um, Most of uh, Catholic virgin and martyr. She uh, was arrested and tortured during oh, the persecution. Jesus. Okay. Mm. Sorry. So um, why is it called St. Mary of the Flower, Ray? Ooh, I don't know. Flower, flower, flower. Does she look, over, does she look well, over the city or is she their flower? I don't know. I'm making that up. Did she like cooking with flour? <laughs> or did she make pikelets a lot? Uh, St. Mary of the Pancake. Um, <laughs> I, I went too far. I apologize for that. I've reached way too far. Well, 
the cathedral gets its name from the symbol of Florence, which is the lily flower. Mm. The uh, known in French as the fleur de lis. Right. It's the symbol of the French monarchy. It's also the symbol of Florence. Fleur meaning flower, lee meaning lily. Mm-hmm. But no one seems to know how the fleur de lis came to represent the French throne. No one's really sure on it. The one hypothesis that I've read, which uh, makes sense, is that the Franks, before they went to Gaul, right. uh, were based in Flanders, uh, in Holland, modern Holland. And their they their 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 tribal village was around the river Ley in uh, Flanders. Uh, in French, it's the Lee L Y S. And there's a species of wild iris, the Iris Sucadorus, that grew in the marshes around this river. And the flower of the uh, lily, the iris, might have uh, been special to the the Franks when they lived there. Maybe they used it in some sort of a spiritual or royal manner. Maybe when you were crowned, they put a lily on your head. Anyway, um, seems to have been connected then with the French monarchy from a very early period, back from sort of Clovis's days. Wow. Um, Now, Florence itself, the name of the city comes from its original name. It was originally a Roman colony called Colonia Florentia, the flowering colony. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, there's still controversy over when... It was founded and who founded it. Uh, One theory is that it was founded by Sulla as a military colony, as a a place for his garrisons. Uh, Another theory is that it was Julius Caesar that founded it around 59 BCE. Another is that it might have been Augustus, uh, which would have made it sort of around 30 BCE. Um, So they don't really know... But it goes back to sort of that period, right. 30 to, you know, 90 BCE, first century BCE. Because uh, you and I have been to Florence. I mean, these people are very proud of their city. Is there any theories about anybody who wasn't famous st- establishing their city? I, I'm guessing no. Well, I, I, I don't think just Joe Bloggs gets to found a military colony. Um, <laughs> That's true. I think Romans would have right. taken issue with that. I mean, there was, there is evidence that there was an earlier village in there. It's like a, there's an old Etruscan village mm-hmm. uh, there from sort of 200 BCE. Mm. But the uh, the Romans came in and go, we're, we're having that now and we're <laughs> going to build you. a military garrison. Right. It, it, it would have been uh, strategically uh, occupying the area where the river Arno controlled the Via Flaminia, which linked northern Italy right. with with Gaul, uh, the, the, the trans uh, and the fucking, what's the? <laughs> Trans-Alpine Gaul? Trans-Alpine Gaul and Cis-Alpine Gaul. Cis, yeah. there we go. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it might have even been Agrippa who set it up. Mm. If it was under Augustus, round 30, could have been motherfucking Agrippa right. who's, who set up 
uh, Florence. And if so, that makes the connection between the Pantheon and the Duomo even more profound. You with me? You still there? I'm here. I'm trying. I'm put, trying to put those together. Well, Agrippa built the original Pantheon. Oh, and, and then Agrippa, Agrippa may have founded Florence, which built the Duomo. Yes, nice. In part on the Pantheon. Ah, okay. So, so getting back to the same area of the flower. So, the flower, Florence, is the flowering city. Uh, it's 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 symbol is the fleur de lis, and a flower turned out to be a very important part of Bruno's solution for building the dome. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the uh, Ricci videos on the YouTubes about the building of it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was incredible. They brought the uh, American stonemasons over and all the different techniques that they think this guy literally invented along the way or, helped, or modified or created, uh, which I'm sure we're going to get into later. But yeah, again, flower... Ingenious for what he needed. Now, I normally snort with derision when you say you prepared for our podcast by watching documentaries on YouTube, but um, that was a good one. In this, yeah. in this case, yeah. Well, I felt it was important because there's such such a visual element in figuring out the design of this that I wanted to go and watch it. And I recommend it for people listening. I think it was a National Geographic mm-hmm. uh, documentary um, on. Brunelleschi and the Duomo that I'll post up on our website or in the show notes or on Facebook or somewhere. Check it out. Um, it's an hour or so long, uh, 90 minutes maybe even. It's a really good uh, documentary about how they went about this. Um, now, anyway, when uh, when Bruno gets back in Florence, he is described as middle-aged, <laughs> short, bald, pugnacious-looking, but it- with an aquiline nose, thin lips, and a weak chin... Right. However, he compensates for all that by wearing dirty rags. Now, I just had this picture of you in my head when I read that description. I thought he basically. I'm not, I'm not pugnacious like looking. you. I'm mm. very open. Mm. I, I've been told mm. I have a very mean, neutral face, which I feel really bad about. But mean, mean. That's what I've been told. Anyway. I think you're pretty pugnacious. <laughs> do you know what pugnacious even... Do you even know what pugnacious means? Tell me. No, I want you to tell me. Do you know what it means? I, I imagine it's, um, it's certainly not a compliment. Is it someone who's stubborn? Is it someone who uh, takes offense? I, I don't know. What's pugnacious? What's, what's a pugilist? Oh, shit. I don't know. A fighter, a boxer. Oh, same okay. route. Gotcha. Somebody wants to fight, basically. No, nope. looking for a fight. I'm, I'm a lover. Yeah. I'm not a good one, and it doesn't take very long. But I am a lover. It doesn't take long a for lover. me. You're not a good fighter. It's you're not. Uh, but, but my heart is. It's the heart of an artist. <laughs> like. Brunelleschi. Right. So basically, you are a modern Brunelleschi. Oh, uh, thank I you. Think is, yeah. Yeah, now, the, the bit about dirty uh, rags that he was wearing, pretty much apparently that was like a badge of genius <laughs> in Florence in those days. Really? He was simply the latest in a long and illustrious line of ugly, <laughs> dirty, hobo-looking artists. <laughs> 
Um, we mentioned in an earlier episodes Chimabue and Giotto as sort of being the pre-Renaissance influences of uh, these early Renaissance artists like Ghiberti. Um, what does Chimabue mean, Ray? Oh, shit. I can't, your, rem- uh, I can't remember. Experience with Italian? Chimabue. No. Come on, you're in Italy for a week. <laughs> Didn't you pick up the lingo? Well, there was a lot um, of limoncello flowing. <laughs> Chimabue means ox head. Oh. That was because uh, right. he looked like he had an ox head. Damn. Giotto, Giotto was so ugly that Boccaccio devoted an entire tale in the Decameron to how <laughs> ugly he was. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah. He wrote... Nature has frequently planted astonishing genius in men of monstrously ugly <laughs> appearance. <laughs> did, did he have to? Anyway. And uh, later on, Michelangelo is famous for being ugly. Right. Had a, he, had a, he had a broken nose from a fight that he got into with the sculptor... Torriani, Torriani, Torriani. Right. Let me try that again. Torriani. Um, and like both Giotto and, and uh, Bruno, Michelangelo apparently just walked around wearing rags. With, not even rags, dog skin breeches <laughs> he wore. I, I wanted to ask you, because there's a difference between being physically unattractive. You know, you're born a certain way. There's only so much you can do because plastic surgery uh, hasn't hit its renaissance yet. But that doesn't mean you can't bathe. That doesn't mean you can't dress a little bit better, especially for some of these people who have some money. Um, and I'm just trying – is it that they're just so focused on their art or whatever that they're, that they're doing that they're completely indifferent to how they look. Is that what we're supposed to believe? That they were so consumed? Yeah, that's that's the way I... These guys (laughs) were completely consumed 24-7 with doing the work or studying how to do the work. Right. Everything else, you know, was unnecessary. They didn't give give a shit. Right. It's a bit like how I feel about these shows. It's all I do (laughs) my entire life is researching and getting ready for these shows. (laughs) I don't have time to bathe. I'm wearing, and this is the God's honest truth. I, I get up in the morning, right, 6, 6.30. I go to the gym, get home, sweaty, smelly, and I do not get out of my gym clothes for the rest of the day. That's I hot. sit at my desk right. in my sweaty gym clothes yeah. all damn day. <laughs> Is that how you try to get people to leave you alone? By smelling? <laughs> Does it work? I'm going to try it. No, it still doesn't work. <laughs> Can't get, you know, there's only Chrissy and Fox here, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, so I guess. I shave, yeah. I shave once a week because I have a, a, a FaceTime catch-up with one of my clients, and they're going to see me. Right. So I only shower and shave once a week, Monday morning <laughs> after a new show. I'm like, oh, shit. And if it was a podcaster, my friend. And if it wasn't for the uh, once a week meeting online, you probably wouldn't do it then. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're a Renaissance man. 
I am. Yeah. So ugly guys. Um, in the end, I mean, being ugly and unkempt was such the norm for artists that uh, the guy who wrote the second biography, The Lives of the Artists, Vasari, who was himself a painter and an architect, very right. good one, um, he uh, had a skin disease himself and, oh. and used to walk around with long, dirty, uncut fingernails. He was so shocked that an artist as talented as Raphael was actually also handsome. He couldn't – he goes, well, that's not fair. You can, you can be talented or you can be handsome. You can't. You can't be both. And no. this is what people often say about me. They're shocked. Why, God, why? When they, they meet me in real yeah. life, I, yeah. I come out from behind the microphone and they're like, right. oh, my well. God. <laughs> If I if I may, yes, he smells, but he's great looking. <laughs> if he had a bath and a oh, shave, he'd clean up. Hell yeah, get out of those rags. <laughs> he'd be all right. He looks like George Clooney. <laughs> oh, it's late at night here. I don't know what your excuse is, but it's late at night here. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, Ray, yeah. Brunelleschi was unmarried. Get out of here. Mm. Yeah. It's the only other reason I have a share is if I want to <laughs> get into my wife's panties. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I understood um, because this is, um, well, actually, it still happens today, so I guess I shouldn't say that. But, yeah, a lot of these artists married late or not at all. But a lot of successful men in Florence at the time married late. Um, for whatever reason. But yeah, so between his art, between his appearance, between his clothes, and frank, quite frankly, his smell, this guy is still available. Ladies, check him out. <laughs> now, I want to talk about that, because yeah. this is an interesting topic. Mm -hmm. As you say, it wasn't unusual in Florence at this point in time for men uh, to be single well into their 40s. Yeah. Uh, they married late, usually took much younger women as their brides. Brunelleschi never married, and neither did a lot of these other great artists, Donatello, Da Vinci, Michelangelo. Now, yeah. the reasons for that are interesting. Now, it may be that these great Renaissance artists took a, took a dim view of marriage or of women, of maybe they didn't want to waste their time with fucking or the, uh, their energy, their essence. raising kids. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh man, I often think how much simpler my life would be <laughs> if I had never got married or had kids. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, love my kids, love especially them. when they tell me, "Hey, you know what you need to do? Build your business bigger." <laughs> Fuck me. Really? Genius. I always say oh, that's obviously uh, your mother's contribution coming through to your genetics. Uh, but yeah, a lot of these guys might have been gay. Now uh, Boccaccio also never married. Right. I mean, we know we know why. Um, too busy, too busy raping. Um, <laughs> a little rape. He here, criticized. A little rape. Yeah, there. he criticized Dante. Right. For getting married, saying a wife was a hindrance to the study of the art. Yeah, but you don't say it. Dante, you could have been you could have been really good, Dante, <laughs> if you'd you actually 
to 11. Yeah. Yeah. Inferno, it's all right. <laughs> no, it's not bad. Could have been a real fucking masterpiece, though. You could have invented the Renaissance, right. Dante. On your own. If you just never got married. Yeah. 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 But, a, but a lot of these guys... Uh, were gay or might have been gay. We don't really know, but uh, it's believed that at least Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci were homosexuals. Donatello was a homosexual, again, we think. Uh, (laughs) Hands above the table, Ray. Um, (laughs) And this is something uh, uh, I kind of realised for the first time when uh, we were in Florence on this last trip reading books and they're going, well, this guy was gay, this guy was gay, this was gay. I go, well, what the fuck is it about (laughs) being gay in the Renaissance? Does being gay make you more artistic? Mm. Or does being artistic make you gay? Or was there something about Florence in the Renaissance that made men gay? Was there something in the water? Right. Or were the women just really, really ugly? (laughs) Or were the men so ugly they couldn't get a woman and men aren't as picky? Men are like, you got a dick? Sure, I'll fuck yeah. it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going down on your face, so... So quit asking. Your, you, your face might be going down on my dick, but you're down there and I can't see it, so... Win-win. Yeah. Yeah. All the same in the dark. All look the same in the dark. And, and it is dark because it's a renaissance. We don't have lights, <laughs> candles. Yeah, and, at seven o'clock. You know, yeah, they're not very good. Yeah, right. So I've thought a lot about this. Yeah, um, and as I said to you in an email the other day, I spent so much time on homosexuals <laughs> sites, content-driven sites, that the ads that are now popping up for me on Facebook and Google are mostly about. S&M gear for bears. Did you get that thing? Did I send you I got, did I get the screenshot of the ad I'm getting for bears.com? Oh, oh, that basically looked like, like me when I was 28. Um, I wish they quit using that photo. Yeah, so a bunch of guys in leather and hair and leather caps and <sighs> bears. Mm. So, of course, during this period uh, in Florence and throughout all of Italy and probably most of the world, uh, sodomy was illegal. Right. Christians took a very dim view of homosexuality. might surprise you to know. Um, Fucking a child, if you're a priest, that's that's okay. okay. Yeah. That's that's encouraged. You might get a promotion. But... uh, but with an adult, no. That's homosexual sex with an adult. Yeah. No, not okay. God takes a very dim view <laughs> of consensual sex. Of that. Right. Mm. Thomas Aquinas, the immensely influential theologian, uh, ranked only second to St. Augustine, who said, uh, well, if you got raped... That's because God wanted you to get raped. Right. Uh, you were getting a little bit haughty. A little bit haughty with your virginity there, <laughs> the, my dear. And there was no other way to bring you back down. Yeah. God couldn't just, like, drop a note, slide a note under your door. Had to have you raped and tortured. Um, so St. Thomas Aquinas <laughs> argued that sodomy was second only to murder oh. in the ranking of sins. Wow. The way God sees it, right up the top, you've got... 
murder, killing someone, right below that, taking it up the ass. That's God's view. That's where it sits. Uh, everything else, yeah. raping children, oh, that's yeah. right down the bottom. Yeah. What are you talking about? That's way, way. It's, it's encouraged. God gives you the thumbs up for that. <laughs> In France, during the late Middle Ages, uh, first offending sodomites had their testicles removed. Ooh. Okay. Second offenders huh? had their penis removed. Well, shouldn't that take care of it? Go ahead. Well, they, they, they had great careers after that in uh, <laughs> soprano choirs. <laughs> uh, and third offenders were burned alive. So, set of steak knives. Okay, well, what, what do I get for third time, third place? Set of steak knives? Well, yes. You do. They're over there in that burning pyre. You have to go and collect them yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you... Um, women... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Women... Women caught in same-sex acts would be mutilated and executed as well. Uh, do we know if they were executed on their first offense or did they have to get caught three times? If, no, I think it was the first offense. They were like, nah, fuck no, that. You don't get any That's right chances. out. No. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. Christianity is the religion of love and peace, people. And Always never, never forget that. Forgiveness. Love and peace. And for people... For people that have been that try and argue, like people have been in my Facebook thread when I posted this uh, the other day, well, you know, you got to see it in the context of the time. No, you don't. <laughs> Listen, when you claim to have been directly handed right. a morally superior philosophy from an eternal supernatural being, sure. You don't get to use the context of the time get out of jail free card. That's true. And you can't prove it. So that if mean. yeah. If you want to acknowledge that the leaders of Christianity that supported these acts for 1500 years didn't have a direct line to a supernatural deity and were just making shit up as they went along. Sure. Then fair enough. Then we can have a context of the time conversation. Yeah. But if you want to, you can't simultaneously say, oh, they've got a direct hotline to God and be context of the times. No. no. I'm sorry, that doesn't fly. Column kids. A or column B. Pick, pick a fucking <laughs> argument and stick to it. That's all I ask. Uh, um. I, I don't know much how more you have of homosexuality. Probably lots, knowing you. Oh, lots. Okay. Lots. Okay. Because I have some now, stuff too. I, but, but I've I'll got more on. Yeah, go ahead. I bet you do. But that's, <laughs> you know, that's for a different These are photos. Podcast. Getting back to God. Yeah. What kind of supreme being is that? What kind of, why, if God is a supreme being, why mm -hmm. did he allow his leaders who claimed to have a personal relationship with him through prayer or revelation, to be so reprehensible to millions of people for 1,500 years. What kind of supreme being would allow that to happen? What kind of love right. for humanity does that represent? Um, I feel like I'm being tricked into something. I'm going to say 
It's a test. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's a test. Uh, no, okay, there, there is Go no on to, what, 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 what do you have about homosexuality, Ray? Did you hear about, did you come across, no pun intended, the office of the night? I did come across the office of the night. Um, it was run, don't know if you know this, but it was run by the creatures of the night. <laughs> Kiss, right? Kiss. Loved Fucking Kiss. Great. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so tell us about the Office, the of, office the of the Night. So, there. by the 15th century, Florence had developed a reputation for being pervaded with homosexuality. And as you said earlier, the church just straight up called it sodomy. They didn't call it homosexuality. They didn't call it anything else, just sodomy. And I think you said this a couple of episodes ago, that Florence had such a reputation that the Germans called Florenzen, um, they just used that word for homosexuality. I think you made a something a, um, a statement about that. And there was a proverb floating around um, Florence that said, if you crave joys, tumble some boys. One of the many things that are going around. <laughs> um, and so, but what happened was because of this reputation, and they were uh, reeling from the population loss because of the Black Death. And as we know, gay sex leads to very few babies being born, and the, and the city's trying to recover. Um, the homophobic clerics start to clamp down on this. So in 1432, the city government puts together a judicial panel called the Office of the Night, exclusively to investigate charges of sodomy. Now, what records still exist about this shows that homosexuality was pretty pervasive in Florence of about 40,000 people. Supposedly, some 17,000 of them were charged, not proven guilty, but charged with sodomy. Uh, this was during a 70-year seven, period, about two generations that this office was open. Now, to partially explain this high percentage, about 30% of the men, like we said, married late in life. Um, but even though they married late in life, they still have needs. 
And so maybe they were uh, going after these young men or, or other men. Some, 12%, did not marry at all. I imagine a lot of those were the artists. So this, this helps account for some of the charges of sodomy. Another reason is that the young women, beautiful or not, as we know, were sheltered by their families, so there's you can't get any access to them. So most of the people that were accused of sodomy were under the age of 35 or much older unmarried men. And fellatio was mentioned only in 12% of the cases reported. Now, these men weren't supposedly supposedly gay in the strict sense. Some of them just sought companionship or sexual release. Some of them uh, had one-night stands or short-term relationships, maybe for a summer. Some of them had long-term relationships. Some of them supposedly got married by holding hands over the Bible on a church altar. And the office of the night had a real issue with this. They weren't really sure, are these people married or not? Um, so it was very confusing for the church. The, these uh, homosexuals had some of their own taverns that they would frequent. One of them was called buco, meaning the hole. So you'd go to the hole, meet some guys, and then take it from there. And, and this, this gets to what some of the things that you were saying about why it was so pervasive. A lot of the families in Florence were okay with this because there was a good chance that their son, and the way it normally worked is it would be an older guy who would penetrate a younger a younger guy, but their son would probably be attached to um, a lover who was distinguished in the community or someone that was powerful or rich so they could protect the family, or at the very least, the young person would normally get gifts of money or something like that that could benefit the family. And again, Florence was very tolerant of this. Um, as long as it wasn't flaunted too much. Um, of these 17,000 charges, about there were about 3,000 convictions, not intense penalties. They weren't pursued very, um, very intensely. Uh, there were light fines. <clears throat> Sometimes it was ignored. Um, let's see here. One time when the church pushed for the night office to get even tougher with their convictions, the office refused to convict anyone for 14 months. So they're like, yeah, we're doing what we got to do, but fuck off. Don't expect us to go too hard on this because this is pretty much how Florence is. And here's the last thing I'll say about it. Um, in fifth, in uh, August of 1512, just to give you an idea, 30 young aristocrats charged into city hall demanded that a senior judge who had been hard on the homosexuals resign. And they wanted all the sentences of those who had been charged revoked. And after that, there's a palace coup and the Medici family that we're going to talk a lot about in the future meets all of these demands. In fact, several of the Medici were gay themselves. So this was something that was very common there for all these different reasons. And I think these people just said, okay, this is the way it is. And now let's just get on with our lives. Those 30 young aristocrats were the history's first gay rights demonstration. Exactly. Exactly. 1512. 1512, exactly. Good for them. We're queer. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> we like to drink rich. the beer. <laughs> hmm. I just thought that was pretty so fascinating. So why do you think yeah. Why do you think men were getting married so late in Florence? <sighs> um maybe they wanted to establish themselves, maybe they wanted to focus on their work first. Um they had, they seem to have other priorities. I think it was Ghiberti. Was he like 37 or 40 when he married a 16 year old? 
And supposedly, Ghiberti was very happy, very jovial, got along with every, got along with everybody. And it turns out that if you take the word happiness, a word to describe him a lot, and break it down, it really means happy penis. So I think that was the secret to his happiness. Uh, I just, I just think these people were focused on other things, but then they, if you reach a certain amount of success, you can pretty much get a young lady because her, her family will be happy to give her over to you because you're rich or successful or, or famous. And I think they were just focused on something else until until their later years. Hap penis. Yeah. 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 I like that. That's going to be a new T-shirt. <laughs> Hap penis. Happy, happiness comes from a happy penis. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, look, I think you're probably right that they wanted to establish themselves. I think the uh, you know, relatively well-to-do families in Florence wanted to marry their daughters into mm-hmm. successful families to successful husbands. Uh, unless you were inheriting a ton of wealth from your, fam- from your uh, uh, parents, you had to go and establish yourself, and that took some time. Right. Uh, you know, in my case, I'm nearly fifty. Still, I would be still single <laughs> if that was uh, the rules. <laughs> Which not a bad thing. Um, so yeah, and they they kept their they kept their daughters fairly well locked up. Obviously, sex before marriage was frowned upon as well because of the whole Catholic thing. Right. Um, I, I have to wonder, like you said before, that. They they weren't getting married, couldn't get married, so they had to fuck a guy. Like I have to imagine that prostitution existed, right, in Florence in this period of time. Also, would have been frowned upon, I imagine, by the church. But you know that's never stopped it from yeah happening anywhere. So um, I'm sure in Rome, the cardinals and the bishops and those guys all had lots of prostitutes, right? So. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm. I don't. It's like that old thing about going to prison. Like we've talked about this before. If they said to me, "Okay, you're going to do ten years right. in a man's in men's only prison," as they tend to be, would I go? Okay, well, I guess I'll start uh, taking it up the ass now. I don't. I don't know. Uh, okay. Oh shit! I'm going to do ten years. Or I guess right. I better suck some dick. Well, I, I'm not sure that. Yeah. That 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 flies. Well, I think to answer your to try to answer your question from from what I was able to read and and like you, I kind of went no pun intended. I went deep uh, into this because it was just so fascinating. A lot of the thing, a lot of the relationships that weren't just one night stands um, that you probably didn't have to pay for like you would with a prostitute was an older guy and a younger guy. And the older guy was the guy who would spend the money and he was doing the penetrating. But I think there was a sense of control, a sense of power. And, um, and you actually develop feelings for this person as opposed to just going to a different prostitute, uh, once a week or whatever. So there, there was uh, affection. There was to some degree, a long-term relationships and the young person besides, getting money or, or being treated nice was probably learning um, something from this person besides the art of lovemaking. And so I think it wasn't just sex. I think they were looking for relationships. I think they were looking for, but at the same time to be able to control, control the relationship. And I think it just worked out best to have an older guy and a younger guy, but that's the closest I could come to explaining why they weren't going to prostitutes all the time. 
And look, we know today that sexuality isn't binary. It's not an either-or. Right. It's a spectrum. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, the only reason probably that we are so attached to uh, monosexuality, heterosexuality, is because of conditioning. Um, and as you and I well know, a couple of bottles of limoncello in a hotel room in yeah. Vegas, uh, you know, a- anything, anything can <laughs> Right. Anything happens. Yeah. So whatever the reasons, a lot of these Renaissance artists that we're going to talk about over the course of the series were homosexuals. And maybe Bruno was one of those. We don't know. Now, Vasari in his biography insists that Brunelleschi and Donatello were inseparable. Mm Mm-hmm which might have been code word for bum buddies. Oh, right. <laughs> and there's good reason to think Donatello was gay. We'll get to that in um, future episodes when we talk about Donatello and his relationship with Cosimo de' Medici, who might also have been gay or bi anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if Donatello was gay and he and Brunelleschi were inseparable, maybe Brunelleschi was gay, even though the dome looks like a giant titty. <laughs> We have to remember, he didn't design it. Uh, he just figured out how to build it. Right. He's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not much into the titties. Right. Uh, I can oh, do if it. If it was up to me, it would have yeah. looked like a cock and balls. But uh, more shafty, yeah, you know. Yeah, job's a job. Job's a job. It reminds well, me of head Vegas. job's a head job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, now, you mentioned his personality before, and you said, you know, he was uh, like getting into fights or argumentative. His first biographer, Manetti, the guy who probably actually knew him, describes him as amiable, never known to boast, never angry, except when provoked by the most insulting or disrespectful acts. Yeah. But Vasari jazzes him up a lot. Basically turns him into a bit of an asshole with uh, <laughs> an amazing intellect and a chip oh, on his shoulder. Yeah. So who knows? But um, we shouldn't just jump to conclusions right. that Vasari's version of him is right. Anyway, let's get into the building the fucking dome in the 10 minutes that we've got left and we'll probably have to get into it in the next episode in more detail. Um We said in our first Bruno episode that in 1418, so he gets back in 1416, 1417, he builds the um, hospital, the orphanage uh, for the Innocente uh, we talked about in in an earlier episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in 1418, the Opera del Duomo, the, the, the works commission for the cathedral, announced this open competition for design models to finally finish the dome for the cathedral based on the design of Neri di Fioravanti, who had designed it like 50 years earlier. Right. Now, we don't know much about Neri di Fioravanti. Did you do any digging? Did you come up with any Neri goss? Um, just, just that he was a master Mason and therefore conservative. Um, but at the same time, um, the fact that he was able to propose, I'm trying to remember, he he was 
proposing not to use centering. He was proposing to use some kind of chains around the dome so it could be freestanding. But that's all I had, which which impressed the committee, don't get me wrong, but that's pretty much all I had on him. He built another very famous landmark in Florence before the dome mm. design. You know what it was? No, neary, neary, neary. I feel like I should, but I don't. Uh, you've been on it. You've walked across it. Was it the bridge? The Pont. Oh. The Ponte Vecchio. Mm. Do you remember the Ponte Vecchio? It's the most famous bridge in Florence. Uh, it's the one that has all the jewelry stores oh, on it. Yeah. It's packed with oh my god, it was businesses all across the bridge. Yeah. Um, now it it's an old Roman bridge, goes right right back to the early days. But um, he redesigned it in 1345. Mm-hmm. It's uh, still standing, medieval stone arched bridge over the Arno River. Still has shops along it which was uh, once very common. Originally, it was butcher shops, apparently, but these days it's jewellers and art dealers, souvenir sellers. And it's the scene of one of my most embarrassing moments from our trip to Florence. I was actually telling some clients about this the other day. Yeah. Tell it again. Well, it's, we were walking, I don't know, from somewhere to somewhere with our group, and we were crossing the Ponte Vecchio, and... Fox had been like he was like he was on most of the trip, just a complete fucking little shit the entire day, screaming, tantrums. Chrissy and I are juggling him, trying to shut him the fuck up. Just a nightmare, kicking, biting, hitting us. He's bored, batshit. He's been in Europe for two and a half weeks at this stage. No yeah. kids to play with, just a bunch of boring grown-ups and museums. He's going fucking stir-crazy. And anyway, I'm, I'm juggling him. We get to this bridge. You're all standing there, and so you're all going, which direction did we go in to get to our hotel? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. What are you asking me for? You've all got, I'm just going to look it up on Google Maps like you could. You've all got phones. Look it up yourself. Why the fuck are you asking me? I, what am I, the font of all fucking Florence knowledge? Look it up. And it was at that point that I realised maybe... Being a tour guide, not for me. <laughs> well, not for three weeks straight anyway. Mind you, you are supposed to be also in control of the fucking thing. What are you doing? Nothing. Right. Well, I not was contributing. I was, asking, thing. I was asking which way to go. So that's... Who organised all the hotels? Me. Yeah. Who organised all the fucking buses? Me. Who organised yeah. all the fucking flights? Me. Who did everyone turn and go, what do we do next? Me. Yeah. What the fuck did you do hey, on that trip, you right? Ass. Um You 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 acted like you were on holiday <laughs> for the whole fucking thing. That's that it wasn't sounds, a work trip. That sounds right. Hmm. Yeah. <coughs> Back to the Ponte Vecchio. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Apparently, the original concept of bankruptcy comes from the Ponte Vecchio. Huh. They would have they would have money changes on the bridge. When a money changer couldn't pay his debts, the Uh-oh. table that he operated from, in Italian, the banco, right. banco, that's where bank comes from. It was just a table where the money changes were, was physically broken by soldiers or rotto in Italian. Banco rotto uh, is the name of it, the broken table. Ah, um, cool. They were the broken bank. 
if you, if you think of bank as a table. So the, he didn't have a table anymore. He wasn't able to sell his wares, and he was bankrupt. Bankrupt comes from Banco Rotto, they think. Nice. Now, during World War II, the Ponte Vecchio was not destroyed by the Germans like the rest of the bridges right. in Florence. Right. As they were retreating. Uh, do you know why? God was looking out for the bridge. By God, you mean Adolf Hitler. <laughs> okay. No, I, I don't know why. Tell me. He was looking out for it? Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. By express order of Hitler. Well, he was an artist. The, Pon- the Ponte Vecchio was not to be destroyed because, say what you want about Hitler, <laughs> but he loved a nice old bridge. He had his priorities. He did. By the way, do you know what Vecchio means? Vecchio. No, what does it mean? Old. The Ponte Vecchio is literally the old bridge. <laughs> That's what it translates as. It's kind of a letdown. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you call that old bridge? The old bridge? <laughs> but if you really? say it in Italian. Well, no, but you know who came up with that name? <laughs> Barry and Stan. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Barry and Stan. Was that, was that their early Come. days? Oh yeah, no, it was. It was. They got paid. They got paid a million florins for that. <laughs> Back when a million florins was a lot of money, they spent two years coming up with that it's fucking masterpiece. Old. It's they, everyone a said, bridge. It's oh. everyone said, uh, "Old bridge." We could have come up with that. They said, "Ah, yes, you could have, but you didn't." That's right. And that's where that's where Brunelleschi right. got it from. When Whipped they out an said, egg. When, when he cracked an egg, yeah. They said, yeah, old bridge. So fucking obvious, no one would ever think of it except us. Took their money. Off they went. Anyway, yeah. the Opera del Duomo was so happy with Neri's work on the old bridge that in 1367, ten years before Bruno was even fucking born, they awarded Neri with the design of the dome. Nice. But he had no idea to build it. Like no. my sons. Just build it. I said, just do it. I just know, get it done. I know what I want. Yeah. I just can't yeah. get to it. But I don't I don't come it. don't come to me with the details. <laughs> I'm not a details person. I'm a big picture guy. I don't do details. Big picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, no. That's that's uh, anyone can do details. You come to me for the big picture. Like Barry and Stan. Inspiration. I yeah. I built the bridge. Right. They came up with the name for the bridge. Right. I didn't even build it, I just designed it. They I said I said, you know what you want to do? They said, what is he said, build a bridge. They said, how are we going to do it? Fucking don't. Don't come to me for details. I'm done. I've done my part. I'm done. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to Build a bridge. Beach. Yeah. <laughs> Barry and Stan will tell you what to call it. I told you what to do. They'll tell you but what to I'm call done. it. Someone else fucking deal the details. Shut it down. Yeah. They said, have you got a good name for the dome? He said, yeah. What is it? Dome. <laughs> Barry and Stan came up with that one. I don't even need Barry and Stan for that one. I'm starting to learn the tricks. Tricks of the trade. Call it Dome. Anyway. The Duomo Domo. Hey. Domo on the Duomo. That's not in Romo. Um, So as I've said many times, and just to go over it again, most Gothic cathedrals relied on flying buttresses. That's how you would 
support it, prevent the hoop stress from pushing outwards, put a big stick to push back inwards. Basically, it's basically what a buttress is. It's a big fucking stick that you jam in one end of the ground, jam the other end into the building. Boom. And just, yeah, there you go. But it's over. How are you going to fix that? Stick a stick in the ground. (laughs) Lots of sticks around it. Fucking Bob's your uncle. (laughs) Doesn't. Do you say that in America, Bob's your uncle? Oh, yeah. I do, but people look at me strange. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> but near his design He said no, no Buttresses are ugly Get rid of the buttresses Right They go well how's it going to stay up Not my problem yeah. Not my fucking problem Big picture Go to the beach See you in, see you in 10 years Tell me tell me, what, tell me when you need more big thinking He said So they had a concept model Right He actually built He actually built a model Yeah that uh, remained up until Brunelleschi had finished building it. And do you know what they did with Neary's model afterwards? No, tell me. They pissed in it. What? They flipped it upside down, and I'm not even joking. They flipped it upside down and turned it into a urinal. Oh, God. Were they... Well, you know, don't want to waste it. It's got bricks. Fancy. It's a fancy, fancy a, model. That's I, the I don't think the model was made out of bricks. Toilet in the history of the world. Yeah. They God. literally flipped it up and pissed in it. For a long time, it stood there. God. Yeah. That's fucked up. Come and take a dump in the dome <laughs> of the Duomo. Was, they used to advertise the toilet. <laughs> oh, that makes me want to the do dump. it. Dump. Yeah, the Duomo, the Dumpo, yeah. the, dump, <laughs> the Dumpomo. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. getting serious for a second, yeah. this single aesthetic decision made by Neri de Fioravante, not by Cambio, right? Not by Brunelleschi, but by somebody no one's ever fucking heard of. Yeah, Aww. whose work they ended up just pissing in. <laughs> Neri de Fioravante, right? His single aesthetic decision to design this dome in this way ushered in the Renaissance. Yeah. And marked it as the end of the Gothic Age and the beginning of the Renaissance. Now, we'll talk more about this as we get into it, but you stop and think about this for a second. Like, okay, Petrarch had, had written some poems, mm-hmm. Boccaccio had written the Decameron, and people were like, ooh, this is nice. Yeah, yeah we can read this. It's written in Italian, and all this is like... Classical poetry, isn't that nice? Fucking Ghiberti had built some doors for the baptistery and you could walk around and look at his doors and go, oh, look at that. Isn't that that nice? Look at them doors. (laughs) But this fucking dome... Right. It stood then as it stands now, above everything in Florence. Everything else was minuscules, like they were made for ants. It's like a school, read a school for ants, the rest of Florence. All you can see, every morning you wake up, you look out your window, <coughs> dome. Right there. You uh, walk to work, dome. <laughs> You're going off to have gay sex with someone, dome. Um, Pissing an upside down going dome to a, model, dome. Dome. Looking out the window, you see the dome. You, uh, you're a priest, you're going off to, to rape some children, look out the window, Rome. While you're banging a 12-year-old boy, Dome. 
It it dominated right. Florence everywhere. All you could see was this fucking dome that was magical, right? Because it stood by itself and it looked like a big titty. <laughs> the magic titty right. was originally what Barry and Stan. That's what, were that's what call Renaissance it. means. Magic titty. <laughs> the magic titty. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it was it was inescapable. Yeah, people were like, "Holy shit, is, that is yeah. an awe-inspiring magic titty." Right. I'm going to go off and become a painter. Yeah, this is different. Something but, different's happening. Yeah, yeah. Now, so I've said this a few times before. In the Gothic era, the way that you built a dome or an arch was you'd build a wooden frame first, then lay your bricks or pour your concrete on top of the frame. Then, if it, then you would put the lodestone in the top of the arch, wait for the mortar between the bricks to dry, and then you would pull the wooden frame down and run like hell. <laughs> Why are you running like hell? Because the failure rate was about 50%. Because they didn't know what they were doing. Because they were like, oh, well, how hard can it be? We'll just build a fucking arch, you know? It can't be that hard. Throw some bricks up there. Bob's your uncle. Do we say that in Florence? Oh, well, we do now. All right, Bob's your uncle. I think Bob died last week. Um, Roberto. Roberto is your uncle. Okay. Sounds more... Yeah. (laughs) Bob was your uncle. Got crushed by by an arch. Why? Because he was the Uh, slowest runner. Now, as I mentioned in a, a couple of episodes ago, uh, they couldn't do that with uh, the Duomo. They couldn't build a wooden scaffold. Why not, Ray? Um, well, the sheer size of it. But basically, they, they started, I think, trying to project how much lumber would be needed. Because this thing is going is, I mean, the base of the dome is going to be 170 feet off the ground. But th- there was not enough wood. You would have to have more than 100 trees to try to build the scaffolding for this, and they couldn't even afford the amount of wood available if the amount... How many trees? At least 100? Uh, 700. I was close. 700 trees. So, one, you would have to depopulate some forest, which, okay, but you can't afford that stuff. And the reason they went for this model was because um, they were trying to save money in the first place. They're, they're, don't get me wrong, they're spending a ton of money, but there was just not enough money to, to buy all this wood. That is just not a feasible plan. The old ways aren't working anymore. Not for this. Why Why would it be expensive to use 700 trees to build? Well, I imagine, one, you've got to cut them down. Two, you've got to transport them. Three, you've got to put them in the particular shape that you need. And you, you the minimum that you're working off of the ground is 170 feet, so there's got to be some kind of structure. I, I just imagine the cost of all of that together would be prohibitive. Yeah. You can't just go to your hardware store <laughs> and go, Number 84. Uh, all right, we're going to need... X amount of wood. Yeah. <clears throat> the Opera del Duomo did own some timber plantations, but not not enough. And yeah, the amount of time it would take in to cut yeah. the fucking trees down, transport them, cut them down to size for what you needed, <clears throat> would have been made it prohibitively expensive, and would have taken years yeah. to just build that. And then right. a lot of practice. A lot of practical problems on top of that as well. The size of the yeah. structure, as you said, like it's very, very high. 
very little room for the workers to actually build the dome with the amount of scaffolding that would be mm. required. Um, and then when you started to, the most dangerous part of this was when you tried to pull the scaffolding <laughs> down, it tended to just fall down right. on top of you. Um, but everyone who is entering this competition to figure out how to build it in 1418 thought you would need some kind of centering. One of the guys who entered the competition suggested they build a mound of dirt 300 feet high. Sure. That was his, that was his, uh, you got an idea? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I've got a great idea. Yeah, what's your idea? Well, we're not going to use wood. Well, thank God, because everyone else is suggesting wood right. so far, and we just don't think we can afford to do wood. going to tell you, what's yours? Going to build a fucking big pile of dirt. They're like, really? Well, You're going to build a big pile of dirt in the middle of our church? <laughs> well, One of the guys on the committee actually suggested that they hide gold coins yes. in the pile of dirt. That's brilliant. So people would volunteer to help and come <laughs> remove it when they were finished. Right. How long would it take to remove uh, that much dirt when your base is 170 feet, much less have to go up another however many feet? I mean, that's just insane. But again, they were trying to figure out this seemingly insolvable problem. And Brunelleschi was the only idea, the only guy who had this new idea. He said, let's do away with centering altogether. Centering is what you call when you build a center structure. Uh, you know, that everything sits on top of. They call it centering. He said, no, nah, fuck it, no centering. They were like, you are crazy. You Not fucking you again. You're the guy that wanted to do this, the fucking Abraham stabbing uh, Isaac with this look of terror on Isaac's face. Uh, who let you in right, the building? I thought you were going. He, he, said, he said, it can be done. I'll prove it to you. And he and Donatello then spelt, spent several months building a 12-foot model out of bricks Damn. In, the, in the car park to show them how to do it. And what happened to that, what happened to that uh, demo dome, Ray? Was that moved into the church or did they piss in that as well? It got uh, buried and forgotten about and lost. Oh. For 600 years until, by accident, in 2012, Damn. they were renovating the Cathedral Museum, which is near the Duomo, and uh, they uncovered, as they were digging up the foundations they in the car park of the museum, they found the hole. Uh, they found this big nine-foot hole. Right which they think is the remains of the Demo Dome because oh. it has the same brickwork right. as the Duomo, which Brunelleschi invented, which we'll get into in the next episode. Um, so he built a demo to prove that he could do it. It's only 12 feet high, but he said, yeah. look, it can be done. Just trust yeah. me. I know what I'm talking about. Any, any of you spent the last 15 years in Rome studying the Pantheon? Anyone? Raise your hand. No? Then shut the fuck up. And it probably killed him to share that much information, Well, if, if certain sources are to be, be believed. I take that back. But if it must have killed him to share that, uh, even that little information, because that was his, you know, that was his, his, his trump card. This is how this, this is going to be possible without centering. But again, he had after he screwed up with the bronze doors, he had to give them something because 
he wanted to do it. He knew he could do it or he believed he could do it, but they just needed more information other than just fucking trust me. He probably buried it himself afterwards, <laughs> built a car park on top of it. Now, of course, uh, Vasari also relates this whole, the crushing of the egg, standing the egg up on its end story that we've talked about before. It's probably bullshit, like the Bible. Right. Um, probably a fun story. Yeah. Um, Not like the Bible. But anyway, he wins the, oh, I think the Bible's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, he wins the commission. But as we mentioned in a couple of episodes ago, they say, yeah, but we don't fully trust you, so you have to work with Ghiberti as your co-construction manager. Fuck. Right. But for a variety of reasons, the work doesn't start for 18 months. Basically, there's problems with the uh, underlying foundations and the wall starts to crack and this, that, and the other. Yeah. But then with a little bit of a fanfare, a bit of a ceremony, uh, on the morning of August 7th, 1420, after more than 50 years of planning and delays, <sighs> construction of the Great Dome of the Cathedral was ready to begin. And in our next episode, we will talk you through the four brand new inventions <laughs> that Brunelleschi came up with. Right. This is even before he added a fifth, which was invent linear perspective. <laughs> he invented four brand new things to build the dome. Never been done before, never been seen before. Cooked them up in his hot little gay brain. <laughs> and we will talk about that in the next episode. Uh, by the way, yeah. uh, if, you're enjoying, if you're enjoying the show, the Renaissance series, um, do us a favour and plug it. Get into Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, telephone, call all your friends up, write letters, quill, parchment, uh, kill, a, kill, kill a goat right. and uh, write it in its blood uh, on the walls of your neighbours' houses, whatever it takes. Do us a favour, help us out. As you know, Ray does this as a living now. Um, I, I increasingly... I'm spending more and more time working on these projects. Um, to keep doing it, we need subscribers. Lots more, yeah. lots and lots of subscribers. We think the shows are good. We put a lot of work into them. We know you enjoy them. Do us a favor. Just uh, jump on and go, hey, uh, check out Cam and Ray's Renaissance show. It's fucking awesome. Um, first few episodes are free. Give people a taste for our comedic <laughs> stylings. If you want to call it that, sure. just ram drunken ramblings is probably a better way of putting it. But anyway, go out and give us a plug, folks. We would appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>